message today. Um, all right, thank you. Before we begin get into the message today, uh, Brother Dave has um, brought up a prayer request, and I think it's important that we uh, take a look at that and lift that up to the Lord. Um, his brother's brother-in-law, Harley, uh, has a granddaughter uh, that was on a horse, and the horse rolled over on the granddaughter, and the granddaughter's in critical condition. We don't know what Harley's granddaughter's name is, but God does. And um, so we just want to lift up that granddaughter, and apparently that family has lost other family members in this past year. Um, so they've had a lot of loss and grief. So let's, let's show love and, um, and ask the Lord's power to be unleashed on that family during their time of, of, of prayer uh, for their granddaughter and, um, and the other challenges and grief that they've been dealing with. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just lift up Harley and specifically Harley's granddaughter, very young girl that uh, was on a horse and, and the horse rolled over on her and she's in critical condition, Lord. And uh, as a father of a daughter, I can't imagine the, the heartache and the pain those parents are going through and, and Harley's going through and, and the rest of the family, Lord. And um, Lord, you are the God of miracles. You know, Lord, you've created all things with one, one words out of your mouth in Genesis. You created all things, Lord. And uh, you know the complexities of our bodies and how they all work and uh, what they need to, be, need to be healed and brought back into a proper alignment and order, Lord. And we just ask that be given to that granddaughter this day. Lord, do what only you can do. And may you receive all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Well, thank you for coming today. And, and again, um, it's so important that we meet, the body of Christ meets during these days. Um, I know there's always a million other things we could be doing on a sunny, uh, sunny um, July morning now. Um, but uh, taking time to worship God and uh, together and collectively and praying together. We pray a lot during the Bible study right before service. And we're hearing answered prayers, uh, and that's just a real encouragement to us. Um, and then also just uh, gleaming and, and looking into the, the Lord's Word and, and, and uh, growing in His knowledge and stature uh, so that we have uh, what we need to make good decisions in our lives and, and actions in our lives. So today, the, ba the message is uh, the battle, different days, same God. And as I started preaching here, uh, uh, coming here about a dozen, uh, half a dozen times or so, the messages were really clear when I first started. You know, do not fear, trust God, have a mind for Christ, hold every thought captive to Christ, you know, and, and encourage you guys uh, that, you know, we're on the winning side here and uh, we, can, we can trust the Lord. Um, and then we got into marriage and, and uh, love uh, for one another. And then we got into um, a journey towards everlasting last time. And, and so as I was praying, and it usually takes me a week to figure out what, what uh, topic that the Lord wants me to share. Um, but there's so many battles going on around us in our world and what we're hearing on the news and in our economy and all the other stuff. And um, I just wanted to encourage you today and take a look at... Uh, um, the Old Testament in Joshua, you know, uh, leading the Israelis into Canaan in their battles, and look at some of the similarities that we're dealing with today. They were dealing in the physical realm, and we're dealing with the spiritual realm, and what the Word of God can teach us and, and encourage us. 
So we'll uh, open with a, a little prayer on the topic at hand here. Heavenly Father, you say that the battle belongs to the Lord. You tell us you have all authority and power. You tell us to go. But Lord, there are giants in our land. Things like great resets, and lawlessness on all levels, and the strain of the supply chain, the war on fossil fuels, the abortion battles, the inflation, we hear of sex trafficking, our declining economy, and the love of others are growing cold or being misled in false doctrine, Lord. Help us to realize the power and authority you have given us. Help us to occupy our times and help us to endure to the end where you've promised us that we will be saved. In Jesus' name. In uh, the opening scripture here is Ephesians uh, 6.12. And there is handouts there if anybody wants uh, where I have most of the scripture. Normally, I, if I was here on a more regular basis, I'd probably have all the scripture up here. Um, but if you have your Bibles or your Bible on your phone or something, you can turn to that. Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So that's kind of interesting that, uh, that in the New Testament they're saying, hey, our battle is not with the flesh and blood next door or in the next country or in the next city or, you know, in this government or this organization. It, we're wrestling against spiritual entities. And uh, so how do we do that? You know, how, how do we, what does, what does that mean? What does that look like? And, and how do we deal with that? So we must battle in the, in the spirit the same as Israel had to battle in the land of Canaan. Although our battle is not fear, uh, spirit, physical warfare, it's spiritual warfare, and it starts with the seeds of negative thoughts in our minds. And we need to be pray, use the, the, the weapon of prayer and the, and the, and the blessing of prayer uh, and be victorious. Let's take a look at Israel and Joshua uh, leading the nation into the promised land. It's close to Moses' um, death or passing away. And Israel is going to cross into that promised land, and they're going to have to defeat 31 kings to conquer and be victorious. So this is, this is a nation that's been traveling in the wilderness for 40 years after they left Egypt, the captivity of Egypt. And now they were, God says, this is the land I have given to you. Go and occupy it. So God tells them to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. In Numbers 33, 52, and 53, it says, Drive out all inhabitants of the land before you. Destroy all their carved images and cast idols and demolish all their high places. Take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. So you must drive out. You must occupy, is God's commandment. So a good analogy, if you start thinking about how can we relate that to our lives, you know, when you close on a house, you sign all the papers and sign, get the warrant, sign the warranty deeds and all the loans, and it's legally yours, but until you move in on that house on move day, you know, and, and actually put your furniture in there, you really haven't occupied the house. You must take possession of it, and, and um, 
you know, and, and hopefully that makes sense to you on, on what God is asking them to do. But back in Israel, you know, there were enemies there. And that's the battle. In Numbers uh, thirty-three fifty-five, it says, but if you do not, so God's warning them here. You know, it sounds harsh, and we'll get, uh, get to that point. You know, drive out these, all these people living in Canaan, okay. But God's telling you, if you do not drive out these inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. So there was a reason God saying, hey, you need to drive these people out of there. This is your land, but you need to drive them out. So God warns them that they will be harassed and eventually defeated if they don't drive out their, these, these people. In Exodus uh, 23:29, so this whole story goes over several books in the Old Testament. But I will not drive them out in a single year. So he's given some reasons of how to drive them out. Because the land would be desolate to wild animals and too numerous for you. So he's saying if you go in there with your people and your armies and you drive them out too fast, you're not going to be able to have time to occupy and the, the land will go follow, fallow and, and you know, animals will come in and now, now you got all that work to get the land back in shape for farming or whatever else. Little by little I'll drive them out, God said. So it's going to take time to capture the land of Canaan. Before you, until you have increased enough, until you've increased enough in population and in, in strength to take possession of the land. So the whole, the whole idea that God says is that we'll drive them out slowly. And if you think about it in our lives, sometimes uh, to take possession, we have to grow into that. Uh, you know, a 14-year-old, if you, you let them inherit a million dollars, they probably won't do very well with that money, <laughs> Right? They need to mature and grow in and learn about finances and, and you know, have an idea of how to use, you know, save and use that money. You hear of lottery winners all the time you know, that win tens of millions or hundreds of millions only to be impoverished four years later. Uh, they go on a spending spree and you know, borrow against their future earnings and everything else, and it uh, all disappears. So it takes time uh, sometimes to go into whatever God has for us in our life. I know that when I was called to be a minister back in 1999, you know, it wasn't uh, until about 2011, 2012 that I became a, a campus pastor for a, two, a couple of years to start the Oliva uh, Harvest Time South Church up there. And then I stepped away in another six, eight years before God called me back in to help here at Whitehall every uh, third week. Um, you know, sometimes it takes years to be called into whatever ministry or role that the Lord has for you. So it took time back in Canaan as well. Eight to ten years later passes. And in Joshua, I'll give you a little bit more of the story that's going on here. Joshua 17, 12 through 16. Yet the tribe of Manasseh, Manasseh was considered one of the 12 tribes of Israel. A lot of them uh, say they're more of the warrior tribe. Um, we're not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites, the people in the land, were determined to live in that region. However, when Israel grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. So, you know, they were, they were starting to overcome the Canaanites, but they're not quite listening to what God says. God warned them, you better get, move these people out of here, otherwise they're going to corrupt you. 
So in verse 15, if you're so numerous, um, so the people, so verse 14, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, uh, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion of our inheritance? We are numerous people and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. So he's going to uh, Joshua and uh, saying, hey, we have a lot of people in our tribe and we need, a, we need more land. We're, we're having kids and grandkids and you know, our, our space is, is, is short. And so Joshua replies, if you're so numerous, Joshua answered, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up to the forest and clear some land for yourself up there uh, in the land of the Pezzarites and the Raphaites. Now, some of these names don't mean much to us, but I'm going to give you some insight into a few of these names in a minute. The people of Joseph replied, the hill country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who live in the plains have chariots filled with iron, both those in Bashan and its settlements and those in the Valley of Jezreel. So they're, they're saying, uh, no, we're not going to go take that valley. Those people down there, they have technological advances over us. They have iron chariots. New, 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 new. You know, give us more land, but we don't want to mess with those people down there. So the battle took years. And as the, as the, as, as, the Israelites slowly uh, filled in and, and uh, took over the land of Canaan. One of the things that's interesting, when Moses uh, you know, and Joshua are talking and, and um, they were looking into the land of Canaan after all that walk in the wilderness, they sent in two spies into the land of Canaan and, and said, hey, you know, take a look at their cities, let us know what, what we're dealing with down there what the Lord wants us to do. And they came back and said, whoa, 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 you don't want to go down there. There are giants in the land. You know, way too powerful of, of people down there. You don't want to mess with that. And, and I believe that as the storyline goes, they, they listened to the spies and they wandered for a, a while longer before they finally went back and tried to complete what God had for them. So you see the term giants a few times in the Old Testament. Even uh, David and Goliath, you know, he, they kind of said that he was giant in stature, you know, so whatever, a very tall individual. But let's look a little closer at, at what we're dealing with here. Um, what the tribes of Israel was dealing with uh, in, the, in the land of Canaan. And then we can go all the way back to Genesis 6-4. And this verse kind of blows you away. You know, most people scratch their head and like, okay, and go to the next verse. But let's see if we can shed some light on that for you. There were giants on earth in those days. And also afterwards, when, when the sons of God came into the men, daughters of men, sons of God came into the daughters of men, and, the, and they bore children to them. Those were mighty men of old, men of renown. So you're like, whoa. Well, that's crazy and funky. So the sons of God, and then now the theologians all debate what does sons of God mean and things like that. But, um, you know, it, it says there were giants on earth in that day. So the King James Version and versions associated with King James, the New King James, you know, use the word giants. But if you look at the English uh, translated version, English um, standard version of the Bible, and a lot of the Jewish texts of the Bible, because remember the Old Testament is the Jewish Torah. So that Old Testament was around you know, hundreds of thousands of years before the New Testament. 
um, was being written. And so the Jewish people were, were maintaining the Jewish Torah, which is our Old Testament. So the word... Um, so the word in the English Standard Version translates into Nephilim. Anybody ever hear the word Nephilim before? Okay. So what is the Nephilim? And then I looked up in a lot of the Jewish translations of the Old Testament or the Torah also use the word Nephilim. So the King James, when their monks were translating, Nephilim also means large or giant. So they use the word giant. Sometimes there's not an exact translation of a word between the Hebrew or the Greek to English. So there's a word that's closely related. So we get the gist of it. You know, the meaning hasn't necessarily changed. But in this situation, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, giant is kind of a generic word. It could mean a lot of things. It could mean tall. It could mean big. It could mean just, just, just you know, large in splendor, whatever the case may be. But the, their version of it is Nephilim, where, where the word uh, giants are used. So the word Nephilim is loosely translated giants in some translations of the Hebrew Bible. Jewish explanations interpret as them as hybrid or sons of fallen angels. Now this is getting into a, a lot of you know, unique history, that a potential history here. Um, in essence, uh, what they're saying is these giants were half man, half fallen angel. So the Bible says in Deuteronomy 3.11 that Og, O.G., king of Bashan, was one of the last Raphim, or offspring of the Nephilim. He had a bed that was 13 feet long. So it's describing that one of the kings in Canaan had a bed that's 13 feet long. Now I know my bed, you know, is probably what, seven feet long or whatever. It's usually like, if you're lucky, it's a foot longer than your body. So if you, you, know, you estimate that if it was a foot longer than his body, that he probably was at least 11, 12 feet tall uh, type thing. Um, and I don't know if the Bible would have mentioned it if it was just a grandiose bed. You know, there was some reason they, they, they described the cubits of that size of that bed, which we can translate back into feet, in English feet. Um, but can you imagine, I'm almost six foot tall up here. Can you imagine your preacher being 11, 12 feet tall? I guess they would command uh, some, <laughs> some, uh, uh, some attention there, right? Uh, these are some, you know, so, so you can imagine these five and a half foot uh, tall Israelis. They were a little shorter back then. If you look back in our history and, you know, knight's armor there in Europe, they're, you know, five feet, five and a half feet. We're a little taller today with all our nutrients and everything else uh, that we have here in our modern society. Um, but... I would be pretty scared if, you know, there's 10, you know, 8, 10, 11, 12 feet tall people living in those cities and they got technological advances of iron chariots. Uh, that would be pretty overwhelming. I could understand why the spies like, I don't want to go down there, <laughs> you know, type thing. Um, but then if you look at Nephilim, so you could look up Nephilim on the internet. In the Wikipedia, it's N-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. Nephilim, M-E-P-H-I-L-I-M. Um, and you'll find all, you'll find tons of websites that talk about them. A lot of them are referring to, you know, ancient Jewish texts that talk about them and things like that. I mean, if you really want to look into it, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that back this theory up. Um, but the book of Enoch, Enoch was, uh, in the book of Jude, it said Enoch was a man in the seventh generation from Adam, and he was a very godly man. 
So there is actually an ancient Jewish text that's free on the, on the internet of, of the Book of Enoch. And he goes into a lot of depth about early man and these, you know, how these fallen angels got to earth and how they intermarried with humans and all that kind of stuff. But I won't touch that. That's just some nice niceties that kind of round out the story. But what we want to do is just concentrate on our scripture here um, and just gleam what we can from scripture. Um, so, but if you think about it, you know, you think back in our history and you think about Greece, Greeks' history, and they had, uh, they had all these different gods, Zeus, and, um, and I don't even know all of them, that type thing, and uh, all those, uh, those associated, and then they have Hercules, I don't know if you ever watched the show Hercules, half man, half, uh, half god, and he went around and defeating, you know, bad guys and, and you know, a god, small g, not the big g. Um, and so, you know, where did those stories come from? Were they just creative people that came up with all these fake gods and you know, Hercules, the stories of Hercules defeating Titans and all that stuff? Um, if you think about and start looking at the Bible where they talk us about the Nephilim and uh, half angel, half fallen angel, half man, and the powerful creatures that these things were, maybe there's some correlation there in the early earth time frame, uh, pre, you know, pre-flood. Um, maybe there was something to it. A lot of times these ancient myths are based on a, a sliver of fact, you know, type thing. But it just, you know, it may be some anecdotal proof that kind of back up these scriptures here. So let's like, take a look at who are these Nephilim, or, uh, you know, who are these fallen angels? The fallen angels were followers of Lucifer. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about Lucifer. Lucifer, once the most beautiful angel in the heaven, the, uh, the Bible describes, his name means morning star or light bringer. In Ezekiel 28, 13, it implies that he is, was the worship director of heaven. So he was one of the most glorious angels, right up there with Michael and Gabriel and Raphael, the seraphim and the cherubim. Lucifer was one of the most powerful and beautiful angels. But as we see that even in our own walk with God, what's the biggest thing that trips us up? It's pride. And so as he's leading the chorus of the heavenly host in worshiping God the Father, the creator of all things, he started to look at himself like, I'm pretty beautiful. And a lot of my, these angels look up to me and, and uh, you know, kind of worship me, so why don't I receive worship and glory as well? And that was the downfall of Lucifer, and a warning to us as humans um, as well. It, it, humanity, you know, don't, don't think too big of ourselves. So he and one-third of the Bible goes on, the, he and one-third of the angels battled against God and lost. In fact, Jesus even um, records this as well. Jesus in Luke 10, 18 said, He saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan was cast down to earth. Now you've got to remember, Jesus existed in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And that reference was back to Genesis 1, 1, where, in essence, what that statement says is Jesus was there at the time of creation. And he was involved or actually spoke creation. Um, in, in, in also in the Gospels, it talks about when the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, and who, who are you? Who do you say you are? And, he's, and he finally said, I am. Now, I don't know if you guys remember the old, uh, old Ten Commandment movie with Moses. 
and Moses was up on the burning bush, and you know, and Moses says to God, well, the people want to know what your name is, so what should I tell them? And the response was, I am that I am. You know, so that's what the Bible says, is I am. So in essence, Jesus was saying that he and the Father was one as part of the Trinity, you know, type thing. And that Jesus existed before his, uh, that he took on the form of a baby in Bethlehem. Um, so he is, his, his spirit pre-existed his physical form here on earth. So in 2 Corinthians, along this same storyline, so I'm just taking you on this little thing, and then we'll get back to the point of, of the message here today. In 2 Corinthians 4-4, it actually says in the New Testament, Lucifer is referred to the God of this world, small g. And it says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is, in, who is the image of God. And we see that today, right? A lot of non-believers are blinded. They just can't understand, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just don't see the whole picture of God. Um, and we see this, uh, we see Lucifer's influence today. These are eternal creatures, just as we are eternal creatures. You know, absence of the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Our, our souls are eternal. So we see Lucifer's influence today in our news media with constant propaganda and misinformation. Depending on which news source you turn on, uh, it's either this or 180% of the opposite direction, this. You know, it's like, it's completely opposing information we're receiving. And mostly we're receiving more from one side than the other. It's like somebody is lying here. <laughs> you know, there can't be two opposite truths. And I think, uh, you know, Lucifer uh, and his minions uh, and, and uh, the, those that were on earth and, and now that those that are also in the spirit, you know, they've had 6,000 years on earth. If you look at the lineage from Adam to Jesus, and that's all spelled out in the Old Testament and how many years each person lived, and then we know that Jesus, you know, passed away and, and rose again around, you know, 2033, or... 2033, um, 33 AD, or whatever, you know, so yeah, so, um, you know, we can pretty much estimate that the earth is almost 6,000 years old, and it's interesting, and I'm, I'm going into a little bit more here, but it's interesting to note that we have seven days in the week. If you look at, in Genesis, it says God created the earth in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. Now look at the millenniums that pass by. We're approaching the end of the 6,000 year according to biblical scripture. But the Bible talks about the millennial reign of Christ as he comes back at, 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 from the Mount of Olives at, during Armageddon, speaks one word out of his mouth where all the nations of the world's armies are gathered and he'll defeat them, boom, right there and set up his millennial reign where the lion and the lamb will lay together and there'll be peace and this earth will turn back into the Garden of Eden. And there'll be no, and, and the Lucifer and all his minions and all his demons will be locked in, in the uh, uh, abyss for a thousand years. So he, he will no longer have any influence over mankind for that thousand years when Christ reigns from the third temple of Solomon's temple. We know that um, the world's message today, 
you know, if you look at humanism, which is really becoming the, the main religion of the world, is that, um, you know, there is no God in heaven. You know, we are, our technology and our advancements, you know, we are kind of gods ourselves, is what the, the, the globalist humanists look at. And we don't need to, you know, follow the teachings of the God of the Bible. You know, and, and, and all the lies that come with it. Lucifer is the Satan, or Satan is the father of lies. That's another name for him. So, you know, we're battling a, a world of misinformation and lies. And we've got to make you know, sense of all this. He's had 6,000 years that he's been entrenched in our world organizations and foundations and money and everything else like that. That's our battle today. We no longer have to look in over at the next city in Canaan and look at their walls and figure out how to take down their walls and capture their land. Our battle might be with our, our neighbor or you know, our government or this world organization or that or this or that. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against spirits and principalities that have the minds and the hearts of our fellow humans. And that's who, why, why prayer is so important because we can break those strongholds and free the captives. So that brings us back to full circle of Ephesians 6, 12. So we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness of heavenly places. In Joshua, so back to Joshua here to kind of wrap up. Um, in the, um, it speaks of 1715, it speaks of the Raphaites. The word Raphaites referred to a strong, tall race of people who lived in Canaan. It's not necessarily a race, but it was more of a description of these you know, giants or half-humans, half-angelic uh, creatures. And Raphaites, if you look at the translation, mean terrible ones. And they just are described in the Bible as giants or mighty men. The Raphaite um, first appeared in Genesis 14.5. Um, they battled with the king of Shur-Dorlamor. So one of the kings, uh, they were battling with it. And, um, and so that, that's the first sign in early Genesis of that these creatures existed. The Raphaites were the relatives or offering of the Nephilim. When the Bible refers to the sin of the Canaanites or the Raphaites, it refers to child sacrifice, Worshipping other gods, all these other Nephilim and, and these watchers that were around the world, these fallen angels that had influence on earth early on, and all forms of sexual impurities. If you start looking at the Old Testament in that light, you know, they were in essence devil worshippers. You know, child sacrifice? Okay. Um, they were the offspring of fallen angels, and they were the worshippers of Lucifer. These were hor horrific, powerful people that the people of God, Israel, were trying to drive out of Canaan. Now it makes a little more sense when God says, you can't have any of them left behind. Their doctrine and their belief system will lead you astray. It will lead you away from me. You got to clear them, is what God was warning them. God's commandments to wipe out or drive the people of Canaan was to protect true humanity. And, and all the prophecies that the Messiah would be, come from the lineage of a David and from a man, a human. There was, there, there was DNA angelic blood in, in some of the bloodline of early, these early humanoid type creatures. If you look at the great flood, all the battles of Israel, the destructions of Sodom and Gomorrah, a Nephilim stronghold, 
you read the book of how evil those people were, that God wiped them out. It was all related to the destruction of these evil Nephilim and their offspring. Liberal theologians, you know, and I talked to some this past week, you know, they, they look, uh, try to paint a picture that the God of the Old Testament was an angry God. You know, he's always telling them to, you know, steal, take these people's land or, you know, flood the earth or whatever he's doing. But they, they're missing much of what they're, what they're doing is they're not understanding the true history of our world and why God told them to do it. He was trying to protect humanity and the eventual Messiah out of the bloodline of, 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 for the Messiah, Jesus. That was farthest from the truth. You know, he is, uh, you know, Jesus says, I am. The old God of the Old Testament, especially where it says the angel of the Lord spoke to so-and-so, that was Jesus. The farthest, uh, so what God was trying to do was trying to protect the fallout from the heavenly war that, was, uh, that fell upon earth. And the legions of fallen angels and their offspring that was on earth. That's our history. So the battle in the early Israelis fought in the physical realm are the forces are the against the forces are the same battle against the same type of forces that we're fighting together in in the spiritual realm. We fight giants in our lives. So they might not be 12 foot tall people with iron chariots, but we're fighting fear, negative thinking discouragement and the feeling that the world is pressing in, right? We're constantly, those negative seeds of thought in our, our minds. Joshua was challenging the people of Israel, take more land, have faith in God, do what God asks you to do. He was trying to tell them that, and they were like, but the enemy is always going to push the limits. They're always going to push back. You know, the Canaanites didn't want to leave. So in Joshua 17, 16, iron chariots, they spoke. There's iron chariots down there in that valley. And they implied that the Canaanites were too strong for them. So seven to ten years of fighting went on. What happened in those battles? If you read the Old Testament accounts, God, through Joshua's command, stopped the sun during a battle so that they could win the battle. Jericho's walls fell miraculously down from marching around seven times with trumpets. Hailstones fell from the sky, and the enemy fell dead, and the Israeli was standing there looking at their fellow Israelis, and all the enemies are dead from the hailstones falling from the sky. Miracle after miracle. They were, they were outmatched. They were out, outpowered. But God was with them. But yet those guys are incredibly strong, they tell Joshua. Still, that seed of doubt, lack of faith. No matter how many victories or doubts or fears were planted, something that is not a reality will eventually become a reality, if you believe it long enough. But iron chariots. Eventually, the Israeli tribe of Manasseh will cave in, and judges 122 through 27. I'll wrap it up in, with, you know, I'll kind of summarize it that the campaign of Canaan started well. They took the first city, they won the city, but the seeds that trip them up also trip us up. The ones that are planted in our mind, they started to fail to do what God asked. In the second city they took, they left some, 
And, you know, oh, well, we'll leave these ones, we'll marry these ones, and, oh, what are those interesting things they're doing? And all this worshiping this and doing that, and they got all infiltrated in there. They started to fail taking the cities as God commanded, and the Israelis were, uh, or excuse me, the Canaanites were determined to stay in the region. So different day, different battle, just to kind of bring it, this truth to other situations in the, in the Bible as well. In 1 Kings 2.12, so Solomon sat on the throne of his father David. Solomon was the greatest, wisest man. He asked for wisdom when God says, what do you want? I want wisdom. He was one of the greatest kingdoms and the, one of the richest kingdoms in this world has ever known. And um, so, uh, so Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his rule was firmly established. Solomon became king, replaced David, his, his, it was established on the throne. But David came to Solomon uh, you know, as a father to a son, giving him wisdom and said, hey, um, you know that these people over here they were against me all my reign, and they have been causing trouble and uprising and this and that. But these people over here, they blessed our kingdom and added to it and, and contributed to it and made it a better kingdom. He says, you really need to deal with these people over here. Um, because, you know, a lot of that sin that, that was, was being developed that because of, you know, Joshua and the early Israelis didn't drive out of their land, they were now... You know, dealing with that, that, uh, you know, lack of blessing because they didn't follow God. So uh, in 1 Kings uh, 2, 46, Solomon did as his father asked and went after and, and took care of those enemies. And then Solomon's kingdom was established. Until Solomon dealt with the enemies, he didn't possess the land. In Matthew, and to tie this together here, because... I know we got about you know five minutes left here. In Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, uh, then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go." He's telling the disciples, "All authority of heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go." In First Corinthians fifteen twenty-four, you want to know what the end game is here? Then the end will come when Jesus hands over the kingdom of God to his father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. All those spiritual forces and all Lucifer and his gang and everybody else, he will destroy that, destroy them. And all the humanity that is rebelling against him right now, that has not fallen under the grace of the salvation of Jesus Christ, he will deal with that and he will hand God the Father, I've won, here it is. Having put down all enemies, Jesus defeated death on the cross. He will come back to defeat the forces of darkness and the rebellion against God and at Armageddon. We as Christians are called to be the salt and the light in a dark world at this time. God is over all things, but there's still enemies to, to clear. We must occupy and advance the kingdom. It's a daily faith walk. You know, we're battling things in our lives, just things that just drag us down, worries and stress and work and this and that, and family crises. We need to have that daily faith walk with God, bring everything to him in prayer. We can't allow those seeds of fear to take root in our minds. It needs to be seeds of faith. But yeah, you know, there's revelations. You know, we're almost at the tribulation, right? 
If you look at it, it's like, whoa, the seals, the bowls, a lot of bad things are going to happen to this planet. You know, but, you know, God hasn't turned over his church to the devil. He has given us authority and power, and we can make a difference in all the little things right now, in people's lives next door to us. We can win that battle against the person that's being influenced in the wrong way or not walking with the Lord. We can bring salt and light and love to them. Death can only do so much to us in the physical realm. To be out of the body isn't to be in the presence of the Lord. Death is not something we should fear physically. The Bible says, don't fear physical death. Fear, don't fear those that can kill you. Fear those that can kill your soul. Right? Because we're eternal creatures. Be the light in a darkening world. Jesus is telling us, I have given you the kingdom, now occupy. And those that endure to the end will be saved through these times. If your worldview is, is, consu- uh, is not consumed with the Bible right now, your worldview is probably twisted. Right now there's so much misinformation and Luciferian lies and doctrine out there. You've got to be rooted in the Word and then compare what the, you're hearing and compare it to the Spirit and compare it to what's um, against the Word. We need a heart change for our nation. We know God can do up here. He can do everything. But we live here. We were talking in Bible, uh, Sunday school, Bible school today. And, you know, where do I start praying? Do I pray for the zillions of things that I'm hearing on the news? Do I pray for all my friends and family that are just walking askew in all this false doctrine and religion? thinking that they're good enough, that they really don't need a Savior, that they don't need to go to church and worship God like God tells us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so much love your neighbor as yourself. The, God, the, world, the people of this world don't want to love God anymore. They want to be nice to their neighbor and, and a good person. They're, they're, not in, they're walking the wide path that leads to destruction. Judges 3, 5, and 6. A, couple, a little bit left here and we're almost done. The Israelis lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezerites, Hiveites, and Jezebites. They took daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to, the sons, to their sons and served their gods. So Israel lived among their enemies. Israel worshipped other gods. Israel became corrupt. And then you wonder why they had to be sent, Babylon had to come in and take them away, and, and all the other things God had to use in order to bring Israel back to their knees and back to relationship with God. Little thoughts have vital consequences in our lives. It's a lack of faith. They conquered 31 kings, and now they're worshiping other gods. We see this in the church today lost faith. Why should I go to church? There's nothing for me here, right? I can do this or that, the other thing. God, don't let Satan play with our minds, Lord. Give us clarity and vision and spiritual vision to see what's truly happening around us. Philippians 4, 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. We have that authority to put that spiritual forces back in their place. Don't worry about anything. 
That is what Joshua was trying to tell the tribe of Manasseh. Don't worry about it. Instead, pray about everything. Do what God is asking you to do. Go make disciples. Resist the devil and he will flee. You know, anything you read this week in the Word, if Jesus says do it, do it. And see what happens. God, uh, tell God what you need. Thank him for what he has done. These are important battles. If we don't succeed, we'll become the Laodicean church in Revelation, where we're not either hot or cold. And it says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out, God says. In so many churches, in so many denominations, and even a little bit in the AG church, we're lukewarm. It's time to occupy. We must overcome our community. But pastor, you don't know what's happening in the school districts. Yeah, we do. Now pray. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for, you know, pray for your brother-in-law and your sister. Pray. Just like we're praying for Julie's son, you know, just pray. And we're seeing things. You know, we're starting to see things, God's intervention. How many want peace in your life? I know I do, too, yeah. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds, the Bible says. We don't need to fear this. Be bold. Occupy. Have peace. Live in that promises that God has given us. Fix your thoughts on things above. Put these things into practice and you'll occupy peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us for falling short. Lord, help us to do what you ask us to do. Help us to pray, Lord, where that is the, that is the power in the spiritual warfare. You have all authority and power under heaven and earth. You have all the mighty angels and just, your own will to make things happen, Lord, as you willed this world into being. Lord, help us to live in victory in you. You've given us the power. You've given us the authority. You've given us the victory. Let's live in this victory. Let's not be afraid of all the propaganda and the fear-mongering that's being thrown at us. That's nothing compared to your glory. Help us to occupy, Lord. Help us to endure to the end and do what we are called to do in these days to win all these little minor victories with people in our communities around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.